This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I was asked today how different this Pac-12 football season feels to me. Or I was asked, uh, I was asked to, uh, I was asked to sort of lay out my memories of this season. And, and I got to say, season's not over. We got one week in the regular season, and we have a Pac-12 championship football game that I think is going to be lights out and, and possibly be a rematch of the week seven game between Washington and Oregon. But I was asked today, like, how different is this year, this season? And I think you've been along for the ride, and you've enjoyed it yourself and soaked it up. And I have at different points compared this Pac-12 football season to, like, a good book or a good meal or maybe a visit with, uh, you know, family, close family around the holidays that, that you just don't want to end and you sort of just linger or maybe you turn the pages a little slower, or if it's if it's like one of these um, one of these shows on Netflix or Apple that you love to binge watch, maybe you just kind of linger a little bit on the episodes and you don't you know watch like five in one night. That's what this Pac-12 season's been like from the very beginning. I was there for the first game of the season as Utah was playing Florida, and I'll be there at the end. When Washington will either host Oregon or Arizona in the Pac-12 championship game on December 1st. Uh, Civil War week is upon us. We'll have big guests this week. We'll uh, take a stroll down memory lane. This will be the 127th Civil War football game between Oregon and Oregon State. I want to look back on the weekend a little bit, kind of tie the bow on what we saw. Oregon State in the rain. So close to knocking off undefeated Washington didn't happen. We'll talk about why, what it means, what the future for Jonathan Smith might hold. I am told that Oregon and Oregon State are still talking about continuing the Civil War rivalry. Even today, I reported on Friday that the sides had, uh, Oregon had been talking with Boise State about opening up the September 14th date in 2024. And uh, a non-conference window in 2025 in September. And trying to get a home-and-home series with Oregon State scheduled in there. Uh, Today there was another phone call between Oregon and Boise State. I'm told that those talks are continuing. I think it will come to fruition. I think you're going to see a continuation of the Civil War series. That would be my bet. Uh, You saw over the weekend that Washington State and Washington yesterday announced that they are extending their series five years. They'll play a neutral site game, and then they'll go home and home and home and home in the last four of that five-year series. But I think Oregon State and Oregon are going to very shortly 
announced that they will play in 2024 and in 2025 at Reacher Stadium and at Autzen Stadium. We've got a great show today. We'll talk to Nick Daschle, who covers Oregon State, does a great job doing it, about the matchup coming up on Friday. Uh, Jonathan Smith will join us on tomorrow's show. Anthony Gold on Wednesday. Uh, Dan Lanning likely for uh, Wednesday as well. Oregon football coach. So we'll load up this week with a lot of talk about this rivalry game and what is at stake. Now, I don't blame you if you've got mixed feelings. You know, if you're not a diehard Beaver fan and you're not a diehard Duck fan, I think you you really have some some uh, you know a dilemma this week as these two teams are playing. Because on one hand, it's going to be a very emotional game for Oregon State on Friday at Autzen Stadium. Oregon State uh, has some bad feelings about how things went, and uh, you know Oregon going off to the Big Ten Conference and getting left behind, the ongoing lawsuit, all of that stuff. Uh, a lot of bad feelings from folks, uh, I think, in Corvallis. Um, uh, uh, it, I, I think um, if you are uh, somebody who is looking at this series, you're probably looking at it going, you know, it would be really nice for Oregon to win because then Oregon gets the rematch with Washington, has a shot to get to the college football playoff still, and gets an opportunity to avenge the uh, defeat in Week 7. But simultaneously, like, only one of those things can happen. Like, either Oregon State is going to spoil Oregon's season and potentially knock Oregon out of the Pac-12 championship game for the second uh, season in a row because Arizona holds the tie break with with Oregon and Arizona's got a game, a rivalry game with Arizona State that it's probably going to win. And so you've got, you know, a real issue coming up on Friday and I don't know where you fall on that spectrum. I'd love to hear from you. What's your rooting interest? What do you think happens? Will Oregon State spin out of the loss to Washington and give Oregon its best game? Or will Oregon State kind of go, hey, you know, we lost and we're out. And, um, I, I uh, you know, I, I still think there's an issue here. Stephen, how do you see Friday's game? Yeah, I, I don't know. Friday's game, I, I... I don't know what to feel about it, John. It's a weird feeling for me, man. The last of the Civil War. I'm afraid that this, if they don't get something worked out, that this is the last time we see it for a while. I think it's going to be easier to not play it than to play it. So for me, I want to just enjoy this game just in case it is the last time they play it in a couple of years. Like this, it's a problem for me. And I have a hard time even just thinking about it. You know, the Civil War is always just a fun game. And, um, you know, it's something that I grew up on and watching that game. And now, you know what, knowing that it's not guaranteed after this season, it kind of, you know, it, it, it's going to be a bitter pill to swallow. And I, and I hope they can figure it out like Washington Washington State did. I think if you are an Oregon State fan, you're rooting for Oregon State. If you're an Oregon fan, you're rooting for Oregon. But it's it's everybody else I'm talking about, Stephen. Like, you know, forget about the series continuing. Who do you want to win this game? Yeah, I, I I want Oregon to win. Um, I think it would be best for the conference just to have it go out with Oregon on top and have a better chance for the Pac-12 title game to be Washington versus Oregon. I want to see that rematch. You know, That's been the talk this season ever since that game up in Seattle when Dan Lane is going for it on fourth downs. They don't convert it. I want to see the rematch. I want to see how Oregon reacts because I think Oregon's the better team, but on the field, Washington won. So I want to see them get a rematch, and I want to see what happens. I think... The winner of that game should get a college football playoff berth. I'd love to see the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. So I want Oregon to win this game against Oregon State. And it hurts me as a uh, guy who doesn't like to root for the Ducks, but I think that's what I really want. I want the Ducks to win this game. 
Well, I want to hear from you at 503-417-7575. What do you expect on Friday at Autzen Stadium? Looks like it'll be good weather. Fox has got the kickoff. Oregon State will show up to play. Oregon will show up to play. I have a really hard time believing that Oregon State can go into Autzen Stadium and win if Oregon plays well. But, you know, you take rivalry games and you look back at last year and you look at the way Oregon State played Washington. And, frankly, you look at Oregon State's losses this season, three losses by a combined total of eight points and you have to believe that you know if there is an emotional element to this game that Oregon State will uh, show up to play and it'll be a fun game I I was really disappointed on Saturday that Oregon State didn't try to run the ball more on their final possession of the game against Washington Damian Martinez had been successful against Washington they could not stop him I do understand that you know I understand why uh, you know, Oregon State on fourth down has to throw the ball. They're in a fourth and long situation. But I'll go back to second down. If you're going for it on fourth, time was not an element. I would like to have seen Damian Martinez touch the ball. Deshaun Fenwick was in the game for most of that last series. I didn't see Martinez on the field. Oregon State, I thought, lost an opportunity there to feed the guy or get, essentially dance with the one who brung you. Because Damian Martinez was running all over Washington. I want your phone calls. Uh, 503-417-7575 is the number. Let's go to Mark in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, how's it going? I mean, as a longtime Duck fan, if you if you think the Beavers aren't going to show up with their A game, you're you know they've lost three conference games by a total of seven points. So, um, I remember. Oregon's best team with Joey Harrington's senior year. The, the Beavers had a 4-6 and six team 2001. The game was at Austin Stadium. Uh, we thought it was going to be an easy game leading up to. We almost, we, a lot of us thought we should have played for the national title that year. Well, the Beavers had Oregon 14-10 to 10 in a driving rainstorm where our, our offense was not moving the football at all, turning the ball over. And Keenan Howry took a punt to the house, or we lose that game, and destroys Oregon's best season ever. So the Ducks aren't prepared for this game. The Beavers hate you. They hate everything about you. They, they, this is their Super Bowl every year, and it doesn't matter what the records are. They're going to play their best game of the year. And if it's a Duck fan or a Duck player and coach, if you don't think anything different is going to happen, then you're preparing the wrong way for this team. I, I'm really nervous about this game. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested, too. Thanks, Mark, for the call. I'm interested, too, what the Playoff Selection Committee is going to do come tomorrow when a new set of rankings come out. Because, obviously, you've got Ohio State and Michigan. They're going to play a football game that will decide who has the inside track at the Big Ten Conference. You've got Georgia sitting on top of the SEC. You've got, you know, a, 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 obviously a problem that could develop if Alabama won the SEC title game in a really compelling game, uh, you may have a problem for the selection committee uh, with Georgia and Alabama. But you've got Georgia in. You've got the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game probably in. You've got a Pac-12 championship team likely in. And then you've got Florida State, who had an injury at the quarterback position. Really unfortunate season-ending injury. Uh, Really sad to kind of see that happening. And you've got, you know, a committee that's going to have to decide what to do with Florida State. 
come Tuesday's rankings. And I really think there's an issue there with, you know, does the committee penalize Florida State because Florida State's got uh, a quarterback out? Or does the committee go, no, 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 we're not going to penalize a team that is undefeated? I mean, Florida State's sitting at 11-0, and 0, but then I look at Florida State and I go, hey, they don't, they don't, they're not the same team. They're not, you know, with, without their quarterback, without Jordan Travis healthy, and he's out for the season, leg injury. Without him healthy, what do you do with him if you're the if you're the college football playoff selection committee? Because Stephen, I kind of think like if this were like a little league team, we would argue, hey, it's the team. This team is undefeated. Doesn't matter if they lost their best player. That team has earned the right to be in the in the final four. But I kind of think the playoff selection committee is going to go, hey, they're not the same without Jordan Travis. In much the same way that they would, I think, help a team that's got an injury and has a player who comes back from injury, I actually think the committee on Tuesday could move Florida State back and slip Washington in front of them just to potentially alleviate a scenario in which an undefeated Florida State and a one-loss Oregon team, you know, if Oregon does come through as the conference champion and wins the game in Vegas on December 1, that kind of alleviates that problem because it would be, you know, a victory of Oregon over a top four team instead of a top five team. What do you think the committee's going to do with Jordan Travis and the Florida State injury? Well, it's tough because we've kind of – the committee's been in great spots the entire time this college football playoff has been around. They've really never had many tough choices besides maybe the first year when this same situation happened with Ohio State. Remember Cardell Jones, third-string quarterback, came in and won those games, got to the national championship – the committee didn't penalize Ohio State. <clears throat> they got him in. The, they got him in the tournament. They got him in the bracket, and they went and won the whole thing. So that's really the only thing that I can think of is that they've done it before, where Ohio State injured their quarterback. They got him in. They won it all. I, I think this game that Florida State has against Florida this week will tell a lot. If Florida State looks really good and they win that game by a lot, I think the committee may not penalize them at all. But I'm with you. I think right now. This week especially, they could drop them down a spot, and you could easily say, well, Washington won the road, beat Oregon State, who was ranked number 11. Florida State played North Alabama. That's a nothing. And so you could move Washington ahead of Florida State just in case the Seminoles don't look great against Florida in their final game of the season. But I think if Florida State plays well in that game against Florida, the committee's not going to penalize them that much. And if they're undefeated, I think they kind of got to put them in the college football playoff, which makes it tough for the Ducks. Like, I think if you're an Oregon fan – you need Florida State to lose to either Florida or to Louisville in these last two games. And that way, I think if Oregon can run the table, they're in for sure. I think it's going to be hard to put Oregon in over a 13-0 ACC champion, even without their top quarterback. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see that. I want your take on what you think as a fan watching this game. And, you know, I, I do think the style points for Oregon matter. I think the way that Oregon beat Arizona State on Saturday was uh, important. I, I think it was important that they didn't struggle against Arizona State. Uh, Bo Nix was fantastic. Six touchdown passes in the first half. Um, you know, and you had, you know, I also think I also think you had a, a case with Ohio State, Stephen, just to go back to that year. Cardell Jones was a third stringer. Yeah. And they had some proof of performance without a, th- a first-string quarterback. Like, they had the ability. Everybody knew that they had some depth there. I think it's probably beneficial to the committee that they're going to have a chance to look at Florida State this week. 
but I also uh, am a little nervous, um, you know, a little nervous uh, for for Florida State, and I'm a little nervous for Washington this week because if I'm the committee, I might just slip Washington in front of Florida State just to potentially head off a problem. Let's go to Gary, who's in Tualatin. Gary, what do you see? Hey, John. Go Ducks. Uh, as somebody that uh, grew up uh, in Austin Stadium and the toilet bowls and all that, if we don't see the Beavers again, it won't hurt my feelings at all. Uh, we don't need the loss, and they're just they're just annoying uh, for for most Duck fans. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Uh, wait, 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 wait! Back up! Unpack that! Back, say that again. I just I, I I don't enjoy playing the Beavers. I they. Walking into the stadium, getting harassed by him is just a, a pain in the neck, and you're potentially getting a loss that you don't need. Uh, if I never see him again, it's not a. It's not a, uh, a. I just. I won't. I won't miss him. Put it that way. I see what you're um, saying. I, I, they're, they're, it's not that you know. Here, here's my problem though, the Gary. When when you say that, like, I I think it's beneficial to Oregon to play that game. If you're just looking at it from an Oregon standpoint. Beneficial to play that game because you get a guaranteed non-conference game that will be a sellout every year. You get um, you don't have to go get on a plane and pay five hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars in travel costs. And limited number of teams, as Rob Mullins has pointed out, to play in the Pacific Time Zone can't play a bunch of Big Sky teams. Um, but I I hear what you're saying. I, you're not alone. I think there's some Beaver fans who would not want to play Ducks either. Exactly. But and as far as this game goes, not yeah. nervous at all. Okay. Uh, with Nick's back there, he's going to carve them up, and their defense is no better than anybody else in the Pac-12, and he's carved up everybody in the Pac-12. Yeah, I I appreciate the call. Uh, let's go to Roy in Portland. Roy, what's on your mind? Hey, John. Uh, you know what, man? For the Oregon fans, man, I just don't see. Ohio State or Michigan losing and dropping out the top four. They're going to flip flop. Whoever loses is not going to drop out. The, a one loss team is so one one loss team is getting in. If Ohio State beats Michigan, they still both getting in. I cannot see them dropping out completely out the out the top four. I can't see that. Now I think I do think Florida State is going to lose to either Florida or Louisville, so that'll take care of that. But you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing like, you know, I, I just can't see Ohio State and Michigan drop both dropping out because they're both in the top four. You know, if uh, Georgia loses to Alabama, I don't see Georgia dropping. John, I just I don't see a one-loss Georgia team that's the defending national championship. Yeah, uh, that's a problem. That's a problem. Out. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Roy. Let me throw this at you. Do you think Alabama can beat Georgia in the SEC title game? Uh, no, I do not think so. We're not getting beat. <laughs> we win another <laughs> national championship. I don't. Think, I, I don't see Alabama beating us. No, nobody can beat us this year. You know, like, you know, Roy, Roy, you know what I think is going to happen? I think I think Oregon and Georgia are going to play for the title. If Oregon and Georgia plays for the title, that will be the greatest national championship game ever. But I, I, I just, John, I don't see Oregon beating Washington. I know you don't. I know you think Oregon is. I I do not I, see Washington. Washington yeah. is on a mission. I don't see them losing again. Yeah. I just don't see them losing. All right, let's see what happens. I think they're going to blow Washington off the field if they play in Vegas. So the question is, can Oregon get by Jonathan Smith 
and Oregon State on Friday in a game that uh, that is going to be big. Um, let's go to Jim, who's in Springfield. Jim, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, John, for taking my call. I was just very curious about the fact that even if Oregon somehow manages to win out, wouldn't this committee still somehow favor eleven and one Ohio State, or even a twelve and one Bama, or a twelve and one Texas? Like, would the committee actually want to favor Oregon right now? Thank you. Well, I appreciate that sentiment. I mean, it does already. It's got Oregon sitting in the sixth position in front of Texas and in front of Alabama. I think for good reason. Now that could all change. It could change tomorrow. But I think that the Oregon has done enough to this point, and I think Washington has done enough to this point. Let's be real. Washington, as they continue to stay undefeated, it just validates Oregon's only loss being by three points on the road in a game that a lot of people think Oregon should have won. And so I think the committee will keep Alabama and Texas behind Oregon as long as nothing squirrely happens. But by squirrely, I mean, like, if the SEC title game is Alabama and Georgia, and let's just say Alabama beats Georgia by a field goal at the end, how do you keep one-loss Georgia out of the top four? And how do you keep a one-loss Alabama, how do you keep them behind Oregon? Like, that is a problem. Me and Judy were going through this before the show. It it seems like if you're a Duck fan, you want Florida State to lose to either Florida or Louisville and then Georgia to beat Alabama – and then you probably are taken care of, and you're probably in that top four. I, I think even if they were to put in Ohio State or a Michigan that's with one loss, I think you still would be ahead of them. I think Texas is another one of those teams where they're going to play probably Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game. That may not even be a top 25 win. So you look at Oregon, they're going to get if they were if they win the table, run the table, they're going to get two top 25 wins against Oregon State and Washington. Those are two quality wins. Texas wouldn't get another one. I think you. It's very. It could get very convoluted here, and it could get very bad and very uh, messy, like you said, going forward. But I think for Oregon right now, you got to hope that Georgia beats Bama, Florida State loses a game. I think then you're probably pretty good in a pretty good spot. All right. I also am thinking about the Ohio State-Michigan game a little bit because I think there's an element there, too, from the Oregon standpoint and the Pac-12 standpoint in general, is that you want one of those teams to win that game, and you want them to win it convincingly. You don't need, like, a three-point, oh, Michigan won on the last play, kicked a 55-yard field goal to beat Ohio State, and, man, those two teams, it was a slobber knocker of a game, as Keith Jackson might tell you. You don't need any kind of doubt over whether or not, you know, one of those teams is better than the other. There's also a path here, guys, to the Pac-12 getting two teams in the playoff. Georgia beats Alabama. Ohio State beats Michigan convincingly. Oregon beats Washington in the Pac-12 title game, but it's a very close game. Florida State loses, and Texas loses. Look at Texas Tech over Texas this week. You could have a one-loss Washington team that could slip in over a one-loss Michigan and a one-loss Florida State due to the fact that, hey, they went undefeated in the regular season. I think you could, with a straight face, make that argument. I think there's some people in the Pac-12 circle who are going, hey, there's a path here. Georgia beats Alabama. Ohio State beats Michigan. Oregon and Washington play for the Pac-12 championship. It's a very good game and a close game that everybody wants. Like, man, that was terrific. That could be a national semifinal type feeling to it. Florida State loses. Texas loses. You need help there. But you could make a case that Washington 
deserves to get in over a one-loss Michigan and a one-loss Florida State. I, I, I think there's a, there's a best-case scenario. There's a worst-case scenario. Nick Daschle coming up 4 o'clock. We'll talk about Oregon State. we got Punch and Audio coming up next. We were out at Killer Burger in Westland on Friday broadcasting uh, all show long. Had a great time there. Uh, and obviously uh, had a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of listeners. It was, uh, it was great to do that. The Vancouver location, the East Vancouver location, did a fundraiser on Saturday. I want to thank uh, Nate and the team there at the uh, Killer Burger in Vancouver. They did a fundraiser that benefited the BFT Foundation. So uh, they're buying in, helping kids in our community. Um, Steven, you took a Killer Burger to go on Friday. I did, yeah. It was, uh, it was delightful. I uh, had to you had to get out of there quickly though to get to go get the kids because uh, Coach Vaughn was at the Central Catholic high school football game. Uh, yeah, how so. about that game? Central over West Lynn in the in the semifinals. Yeah, so she was there. She was working. She was watching the Rams. Uh, she's the track coach there, so she was supporting them. So I'd go get the kids. But the burger, tell you what, it was uh, it hit the spot, John. Hit the spot, perfect. All right, now they're uh, asking me to design a Conzano burger that will be on the menu at Killer Burger, and so. I am uh, dabbling around with that. I'll give you an update as that develops. But in the meantime, we've got uh, Punch It Audio. we got the best sound from all around. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. I'm going to go back to Saturday night, Research Stadium. Jonathan Smith, amid some bad weather, it was dumping rain. It was less than ideal conditions, but it was perfect for Oregon State, was it not? Jonathan Smith talked about the weather being a factor for both sides. Punch it. Weather was a huge factor. I thought in the first half, and, and, and give them some credit, I thought they handled the weather better in the first half, uh, scoring some points and all of that. Ball's coming out on both sides, but I thought we regrouped at halftime, you know, 22-10, and got the early score to get you know, the early touchdown, and then just kept on chipping away at it. Uh, played our brand of football. We wanted to shrink this game. Time of possession was huge in our favor, the whole thing, and just they had two, po- two more points than us. I, I think Jonathan Smith and Oregon State made a little bit of a tactical error at the beginning of the game. They won the coin toss. It was raining, of course, but I think if you looked at the forecast, you saw that the second half was going to bring Maybe a little better weather. I don't know. I don't know if I take the ball there in that first half situation rather than defer because Michael Penix Jr. in Washington took that opening kickoff and went right down the field and got a seven. And and nothing was that easy the rest of the night. I kind of wonder if the wet conditions ultimately got to Penix and Washington. I wonder if I would have just left them sitting on the sideline a little bit and getting wet at the beginning of the game. Needless to say, though, the game ultimately came down to an errant snap on a punt that turned into a two-point play for Washington. That was the difference, 22-20. Washington walked off a winner. Now, Jonathan Smith has to look forward to this week. He's going to get Bo Nix, not Michael Penix, on Friday. Civil War game, Jonathan Smith comparing Bo Nix to Michael Penix Jr. Punch I mean, they're similar in ways. They're elite. I mean, those two guys, the seasons they're having, they are elite, elite quarterbacks. Um, 
You look at Bo's ability to, to get the ball out quickly, how accurate he is, decision-making, very similar, him and Penix. I mean, their numbers, um, phenomenal in regards to touchdown-interception ratio, similar. They don't take sacks because the ball comes out. they got a good old line in front of them. Um, so both of them are, are really, really potent. Really potent, really good quarterbacks. It, it's just another example of how quarterback-centric college football is. You have a really good quarterback, you have a really good chance to win. And I thought that hurt Oregon State on Saturday. DJ Uyunglele was hit and miss. He had some really nice plays, especially running the ball. He had a 26-yard run late in the game that was inspiring, and he was fighting and scrapping. But he's just not the passer that Michael Penix Jr. is, and he's not the passer that Bo Nix is. And so Oregon State has to rely upon Damian Martinez to Sean Fenwick, you know, intermediate pass patterns. Oregon State, I think, was one for eleven on passes of twenty yards or more. It just—it's uh, not easy for DJ. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily for him. Uh, I'll be interest, interested to see the matchup of Oregon State's offense in the run game against the Oregon defense. Remember, last year was a problem for Oregon in the fourth quarter. Oregon State wore Oregon out. Eighteen straight runs to finish the game. Walked off winners. I'll be interested to see what happens. Meanwhile, after Friday's game, there'll be questions at Oregon State about university leadership, conference affiliation, Jonathan Smith's contract status. Jonathan Smith was asked about that. Here's what he says. Yeah, I, I, you know, we got great leadership here. They know what's best for this university, and it's a complicated issue of deciding and all of that. I support Scott and what, what this university decides. Jonathan Smith, contract, haven't heard anything on that front. But I'll tell you this, saw some reports out there over the weekend of Jonathan Smith interviewing again with Michigan State or whatnot, and I just don't buy it. It's not It's not that, you know, there might not be mutual interest. It's not that, you know, Michigan State obviously wouldn't be interested in talking to, would be interested in talking to Jonathan Smith, I'm sure. So, so would some other schools who have vacancies. But it just doesn't fit who Jonathan Smith is. I don't think he's going to be running around right now in the final two weeks of this season, having played Washington, preparing to play Oregon. I just don't see him kind of Jimmy jacking around with a, with a job that he could probably explore after the end of the Civil War. I also think there's probably a contract extension that has either been signed or is in front of Jonathan Smith from Oregon State. And I would not be surprised to see Friday's game take place and then Saturday, as these one-on-one meetings start to happen between Oregon State's players and Jonathan Smith, that's where the plans are, I would not be surprised to see a contract extension announced as part of the plan for 2024. If I'm Oregon State, that's what I would do. Meanwhile, Josh Pate answers the question that I asked in the opening segment, what do you do with Florida State without Jordan Travis? Here's Pate, punch it. If Florida State ends this season undefeated, Florida State ought to be in that playoff. I don't care if I'm starting for him at quarterback. I detest the concept of a committee of people gathering together and deciding they know for sure the value of a football player and how he benefits your team and without him what your team is. I can't stand that. I really think it's time to emphasize ahead of time before these next two weeks if they do win these games the difference in Vegas versus merit, the difference in power rating versus merit. I'm someone who sits here every Tuesday night and hands you my own personal power ratings. 
I'm probably not going to have Florida State in my top 10 Tuesday night. However, that's irrelevant because if they continue to win and I'm a playoff committee member, they better be top four. The job of the selection committee is to pick the four best teams in America and put them in the playoff. That's the, what the committee is charged with. And so I don't blame the committee if they look at Florida State and go, hey, they're undefeated, but. Do you think they really have the stones to do that, though, John, to put a 13-0 Florida State? I mean, Florida State's not, you know, not some pansy. They are. What, what stones are, does it take, though? I mean, what are they going to do? To, uh, it, to put much? a 12-1 or a team that's lost over a 13 No, 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 but that's not the question on tomorrow. The question is, do they slip Washington? who is sitting at five and also undefeated, do they slip them in front of them? I think that's the easy move that the committee makes, and then they wait and see what Florida State looks like over the weekend. But if they do finish 13-0, there's no chance they could leave them out, right? I don't see a chance, because if they're going 13-0, it's, they, they would have proven this coming Saturday that you know they are capable of winning without Jordan Travis. Uh, uh, although I'll say this, if I'm Georgia or whoever's number one, I want to play Florida State in the semifinal. 100%. That's the game I want. Uh, Let's go to Paul Feinbaum. He's looking at USC. USC lost to UCLA in their crosstown rivalry game. Lincoln Riley, his seat is warming. Here's Feinbaum. Punch it. I don't know when I've seen a worse coaching job by anyone than Lincoln Riley this year. It's a complete disaster, and quite frankly, uh, he ought to to pack up. Uh, I I don't know. I I don't really see what his path is. Moving forward, he he blamed everything on Alex Grinch. They, they haven't been any better. They've been worse. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe Lincoln, you ought to look in the mirror. Maybe you're just a total fraud as a coach. Maybe you just lived off of a couple of Heisman candidate or Heisman winners, uh, and 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 what what Oklahoma did for you, and all the people in Oklahoma who were heartbroken uh, two years ago and who never thought they'd get over that uh, that that blow off. Get it, it, they're over it now because uh, Lincoln Riley is not is nowhere near the coach that we all collectively tried to make him out to be. Look, uh, Feinbaum's on this. Lincoln Riley looks bad, but I don't I don't think he's going to pack up and just leave USC as long as they owe him. Uh, you know, they owe him nine years and ninety million dollars after this season. <laughs> I don't are, see that happening. Are we are we just taking this to the extreme here? Lincoln Riley, I understand that he hasn't won a national championship. He's got to the college football playoff, what, twice? He's had three Heisman-winning quarterbacks. He's not a bum, coach. Like, they're having a bad year, and the defense is really bad, but he's not a bum. Like, this guy has gotten teams to far lengths. Like, I think we're just overreacting quite a bit to just a her, historically horrific defense. But that's what we do. And it, I do think it's a, it's a little bit inexcusable knowing that you have Caleb Williams back, knowing that you're going to have that offense, that you got worse But he's not in charge of the defense. Yeah, but he's the head coach. Go recruit better players. Get in the portal. You got Barry Alexander. Go get, go get better players. If You know, do what everybody – do what Dan Lanning did. You know, Dan Lanning had the same problem at the end of last year. Defensively shaky, no identity. Dan Lanning's defense is better than I imagined they could be a year later. Like, I, I think it ultimately does come back to the guy making $10 million a year, Stephen. I mean, you know, yes, he's had some good years. Yes, he's had some Heisman winners. Yes, he's got to the playoff. But the expectations that he arrived to USC with were he's going to change the landscape of college football. And here they are sitting on the outside 
of the Pac-12 conference looking in, they they just did not get better from is last he, year to this year. Is he at USC next season when they go to the Big Ten? If he's not there, I think it's because he's left to go coach the Raiders or something like that. Maybe he runs. But I don't I don't see USC making him pack up, if that's the question. Dan Patrick, talking about Caleb Williams, who, by the way, chose not to speak to media after losing their regular season finale against UCLA. Kind of a bad move by Caleb Williams. Here's Dan Patrick. Punch it. I think you're the face of the the franchise. You're the face of this team. And quarterbacks, we want to hear from you. Um, and and I don't think that's asking too much to have him get up there. I don't look at this and go, man, you got all you got a Dr Pepper, you got a Heisman, uh, you know, campaign, you got all this stuff. Get up there and talk. I think you just should get up there and talk. Yeah, tough year. You know, you had high hopes, didn't work out. Stand up there, answer the question. It's probably your last game. It's your chance to say, hey, I, I love this place. I'm thankful for this place. You know. This might be my last game. I have to decide and get together with my family. But thank you for allowing me into the USC family. And I gave you a Heisman. I wish I could have given you another one. I did the best I could. We just weren't a better, you know, as good a team as we thought we were going. Anything like that. Because those are all things he probably thinks. But when you say, I don't want to talk, okay, you're going to have to talk in the NFL. They make you talk. Or you get fined. I think sometimes in the media, we get caught up on players needing to talk because it serves the media. But I think Caleb Williams had a real opportunity to kind of put a bow on his college career. And frankly, given the narrative coming out of the prior week where he had climbed into the stands and wept in his mother's arms, given the narrative after that, I think he had a chance to stand in front of the media and instill confidence in himself and let the rest of us kind of see him and hear him in a bad moment, and he ran away from it. I I didn't like it either. And and it had nothing to do with, oh, woe is me, the media, we need audio, we we deserve to hear from you. I think it's different. I kind of wanted to hear from Caleb Williams. I respect him so much as a player. My only questions about Caleb Williams are about, who he is when things aren't going well. Do we deserve to hear from these players in college now that they're getting paid with NIL? I think if you're the quarterback, there's an unspoken obligation and a duty to come out and talk. And, you know, I've seen quarterbacks not do it before. Oregon State, Derek Anderson, one time he threw five interceptions at Fresno State. He got on the bus and, you know, wouldn't come off the bus to talk to media. You know, he's pissed off. I get that. I understand that. And you're dealing with young people. But for as mature as he is, with the NFL beckoning, I think he should have talked. And I don't know I don't know if we should move to a model where you're making money, you you know, you're supposed to be talking. I just think you're the you're the leader of your team. You should act like a leader when things aren't going well. Coming up, our big splash. Nick Daschle, uh, who covers Oregon State, will be with us at four o'clock. I appreciate everybody who's reading me at johnconzano.com. That's where you can find me exclusively in writing. I had my Monday mailbag out today. A lot of questions about Jonathan Smith's future at Oregon State. Uh, questions about um, you know the Civil War game. Questions about the Pac-12 matchups and my Heisman vote. Uh, I am uh, 
really confused about Jaden Daniels as uh, the f- new favorite in the Heisman Trophy race. Look, no, no offense, Jason, Jaden, Jaden Daniels having a terrific season, but he's just not Bo Nix, and he's not Michael Penix Jr. And he's playing for a team that has lost multiple times this season, and frankly, um, you know, lost badly in a couple of spots. I think you have to look at Michael, Michael Penix Jr. and the fact that he's got his team undefeated, making all the plays, and you have to ask yourself, how many losses would Washington have if it didn't have Michael Penix Jr.? If it had just an average quarterback, wins above replacement, if it had an average quarterback, I think Washington's got multiple losses this season. I think it probably has two, three, four losses. And Bo Nix, same for Oregon. Like he, you know, statistically, you look at Daniels and you say, okay, more passing yards and prolific offense. And I, I just go back to how many games this season that Bo Nix has left at halftime or the third quarter and not played down the stretch. Uh, still a lot of ball to be played, but I think, uh, you know, the Penix Jr. Bo Nix conversation will be decided potentially in Las Vegas. Can one of those guys win that game? And uh, does that uh, put one of them over the top as a potential Heisman Trophy candidate? If you are looking at the Heisman race and you are trying to pick a winner now, uh, I think you're doing a disservice to those who are in this race. Keep an eye on Jaden Daniels. Let's see what he does in his one more opportunity uh, at LSU. And let's see what Michael Penix Jr. does in the next two weeks. He's got a conference championship game to play in. And if Michael Penix Jr. is undefeated sitting there at 13-0, and taking his team to the playoff, I'm going to have a really difficult time not looking over at him and going, hey, that guy should be either one or two on my Heisman ballot. And same goes for Bo Nix. If Bo Nix is the reason why Oregon gets to the college football playoff, how do you not put him at one or two on your ballot? There's a real question for Nix and Penix versus the field as it pertains to quarterbacks in the country who have carried their teams on this journey and could carry them to the playoff. Jaden Daniels is not taking LSU to the playoff. Does winning matter? Now, frankly, I'll I'll step back and say this. Heisman Trophy goes to who? What? The best player in America? Supposed to, in theory. But, you know, the best player in college football might be a left tackle playing at, you know, some Big Ten team or some SEC team or a defensive tackle playing somewhere in college football. Um, the truth is that the Heisman Trophy is awarded to a quarterback, generally, who has a prolific offensive year, playing for a team that is, you know, in the top 10, top 12 in the college football playoff rankings. That's it. That's the formula. You're in play if that's you, and that's why Jaden Daniels is in play here, despite losing multiple games this season. Uh, I'm looking at Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. a little differently. Maybe there's a little bit of a system to to the schemes they're in, but... I really do have to appreciate the fact that between those two players, you have a 21-1 and record heading to the final week of the regular season, and you have potentially those two quarterbacks being at 23-1 and as they face each other for a berth to the college football playoff. And I'm going to have a difficult time, if that's the case, not including one or both on my Heisman ballot. I want to turn my attention just for a second to fans of Oregon State and Oregon who are bellyaching about the news reports that the Beavers and the Ducks are talking about potentially continuing the Civil War rivalry 
in 2024 and beyond. I've written about this. I've talked about this. I think Oregon State and Oregon need to play each other. I think there's a financial benefit for them playing each other. Clearly, sold-out game at whoever's home stadium is hosting. Obviously, there's a media rights element, particularly for Oregon State, because the home game would belong to Oregon State from a media standpoint. They could go out and sell that a la carte to ESPN or Fox, and they could help with the financial predicament that they find themselves in. I also think there's an intangible benefit and a tangible benefit to people, residents, fans, who have rooted for this rivalry. I don't know how many you've seen. I've seen about 20, 21. But this is 127 games will have been played by this week between these two schools. No, they did not play in 1911. There was a brawl in 1910. No, they didn't play amid a war in 1943 and 1944. But they should play in 2024. And it's why this conversation that is going on between Oregon and Boise State about opening up the September 14th date in 2024 is vital. There's a financial impact. There is a tangible impact to Oregon State and to Oregon. There is an intangible uh, impact and a penalty and a consequence for not playing this game either. Like, put your feelings aside. If you're an Oregon fan and you're looking down on Oregon State, get over yourself. If you're an Oregon State fan and you're bitter about Oregon leaving for the Big Ten, get over yourself. This is a series that came back after a war. Can we acknowledge that conference realignment is a little less serious than a war for just a second? I'm just a little fed up with the arrogance of some fans saying, oh, this rivalry's beneath me, and the entitlement as well. This is a rivalry that should continue. These schools should play each other. There's a benefit to all. The Civil War needs to continue, like it or not. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. My friend Nick asked me a question about the Civil War football games. He said, of the hundred or so Civil War games that I haven't covered, if I could hop in a time machine and go back and watch just one of those games, where would I go back? Which game would I watch? That is a great question. I am uh, super interested in uh, that. Gosh, I, I think I'd go back. I think I would go back almost to the uh, you know in the early early days of this rivalry. 1894 was the first game. I don't know if I want to see that game. I don't know if I have the stomach to see 1894 football. <laughs> I've seen some of that 1894 football here and there over the years. The problem was it wasn't in 1894. Um, that's a really good question. I'm going to mull on that, and I will revisit that. In the meantime. We've got the guy who covers Oregon State. Nick Daschle does a terrific job covering the Beavers. He was at Reeser Stadium uh, just a few feet away from me on Saturday night as we looked through the glass windows of the press box on the new side, the west side of Reeser Stadium, down at the field. We could see the rain coming down and down and dumping on the field. Daschle joining us now. Uh, i got to ask you, Nick, like, I thought I I really think Oregon State has got to be kicking itself. What play? What series? What decision do you think kept Jonathan Smith up on Saturday night? I think. Well, 
I think the drive. I think that the the punt drive is the one that. And it's not a decision. It's just it's just the way it worked out. That that drive where the the ball went over the center's head, whatever the yeah. punter's head for the safety. Well, two plays before that, DJ had, had just trucked a couple of guys and ran for a first down. The ball got inside, I think, Washington's forty, and they were. I mean, they were rolling at that point. They, they had just scored a touchdown on the previous drive. They were moving the ball again, and. But on that play, Jake Levin got, got called for holding, and it went from a first down inside, you know, pretty good position to third and sixteen, and and then you know all hell broke loose, and it was a it was a safety, and then a touchdown for Washington, and and that that's kind of where the game sort of was lost. Well, there's two places I thought was lost. That was one. The other one I thought was lost. I I, I, don't, I you may not have read what I wrote yesterday, but. Um, in the second half, uh, on first down, it was a killer for them. They had 15 first down plays yesterday in the second half, and 11 of them were running plays. Those 11 plays netted four yards. <laughs> they were behind the sticks a lot in the second half. It was a miracle that they got as much as they got out of that because of those first down plays on when they ran the ball. Do you think Washington had made an adjustment? They were running a five-man front in the first half, and Damian Martinez was killing them. That looked like they made a little bit of a schematic adjustment. Was it just that Oregon State didn't adjust to that, or maybe they should have been? You know, I guess Washington was just saying, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us throwing the football, and I, I don't think that's a bad strategy. Yeah, and then Jonathan did say, he goes, you know, it really was. Things did play out pretty well for them in terms of, you know, they kept, uh, you know, panics off the field in the second half. And it was just, it was just those drives. It, it, it was just the fact that instead of getting second and four, where you, you can get five, six yards on a first down run, and then maybe you could take a shot downfield. Instead, they were trying to keep, keep throwing, you know, 10 to 15 yard passes to keep drives alive. And so that's, that's where they, they just couldn't, couldn't get it going, but I don't know. They didn't. Adjust. I mean, Washington's got. I mean, they got good players on that side of the ball too. It's not like that's a bad defense. So, but they yeah. made some adjustments. I'm not sure Oregon State completely adjusted to to that. The Civil War game will come rapidly. It's a Friday game. We've got Jonathan on the show tomorrow to talk about the game. But give us an idea of the 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 psychological bounce back. What is Oregon State playing for on Friday? Yeah, I asked Jonathan that today about, you know, now they lost some stakes to this game, you know, by losing to Washington. They don't, you know, they can't obviously get to the Pac-12 championship game anymore. There's, you know, no chance of a New York New Year's Six Bowl or anything like that. Um, but, I mean, this would be the biggest win of the Jonathan Smith era if they were to win, win Friday. I mean, that alone should be, you know, pretty good stakes right there to be able to beat a team that's, seems like it's on its way to the college football playoff. So, you know, he, he you know, he said this team is mature enough that, the, you know, they, they could withstand that, that sort of stuff that, you know, the stakes, the, the, the stakes that may not be there anymore aren't going to matter. They're, they're, this game has got plenty of juice to it as it is. DJ Uyangalele, um, you know, mixed bag for him. I thought on Saturday, there were some moments where he had wonderful moments, especially running the ball. 
But it did strike me, Nick, that he doesn't have the touch of a Bo Nix or a Michael Penix. And, and, I, and I wonder where his ceiling is. Uh, did you get a sense from DJ at all? Is he coming back next year? Is he still up in the air about it? You know, he's got a year of eligibility, but what is DJ going to do? I pulled him off the side last week and asked him, you know, because I said, I don't think anybody's even asked you, are you are you coming back next year? Have you made that decision? And and he was, you know, he's definitely of the mind that I want to wait till the bowl game, see what see what the, uh, the you know, the NFL people say. They'll make a decision with the family and, and, and you know, his tight circle at that point. I mean, I I think that Jonathan and and DJ are gonna have to have a long conversation about it because Aiden Giles just feels like he's he's just sitting there ready ready to start the twenty twenty four season and and I don't know where that leaves DJ. I mean, do they say do you come back and you know well, the you know the starting job's wide open and best man win or or I don't know. Um, my my hunch is he won't be back. Um, Aiden Childs is just going to prove to be too big of a, you know, I don't want to say a hurdle, but he's just a guy that, you know, if you got him on your roster, he's not a player Oregon State's ever had at that position. And you, you sure want to see what you, what you can get out of, out of Aiden Childs if you think he's ready to go. And by all accounts, I'm, I think they think he's going to be ready to go next season. Oregon will tout itself as being balanced. Oregon State is running the football well, plays really good defense, opportunistic. Where is the advantage on Friday for the Beavers as they head to this rivalry game? Hmm. Uh, special teams, maybe. Uh, <laughs> the kicker. I mean, the I, you know, Oregon State's defense it, when it's when it's intact, it's pretty good. I just don't know how intact it's going to be because they did lose some guys Saturday. I don't know if Keely Arnold, you know, he's questionable, and Noble Thomas, and um, you know, he's he didn't play last week, and they played a lot of they played a lot of freshmen in the secondary yesterday Saturday against Panic, so. I mean, and getting that, I mean, that bodes well for the future, I think, the way, you know, they, they defended him and still had all those, those freshmen back there. But, I, I mean, I think I think they could give, I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how they're going to attack Knicks because I think they got to attack him a little differently than they did Penix because, the, 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 you know, the strategy was they were going to rush four and, and, and kind of surround him and, 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 and cover guys and not sack sack him so much. I haven't seen enough of Nick's to know exactly how he's a lot different than Panics, but my sense is they're going to try something a little different, maybe put a little bit more pressure on it because they were among the top, I think they were in the top five in sacks, I think, going into the Washington game. I mean, that's, that's one of their strengths is to get to the quarterback, and so – they didn't really get to panic, so I, I would assume they're going to try to put a little more heat on on Knicks this week. The thing with Oregon is, I think you have to really, you really need to recognize that, you know, people talk about Knicks, but I think the offense starts with Bucky Irving, 
And so I think Oregon's run, Oregon State's run defense will be uh, vital to uh, trying to turn Oregon into a one-dimensional team. We're talking to Nick Daschle. He covers Oregon State. Uh, Daschle, you know, we've been, you and I have been bantering about, and you know, I've, I've written about the fact that Oregon is trying to get out of its game with Boise State on September 14th. Looks like there's some momentum and discussions happening about continuing the Civil War series. Uh, Washington, Washington State announcing a five-year deal. They're going to play the Apple Cup. Um, give me an idea. How receptive is Oregon State to the idea of playing Oregon? And what do we do with these people who are going, no, I don't want to see this game? I don't think pe- some people quite understand the value of it. Yeah, good luck in a, good, good luck in the Power Four team to come to Corvallis. I mean, it's just, I mean, you can you can not like Oregon. I get that. I mean, for Oregon State people, it's easy not to like Oregon right now. But the fact is, they they kind of need Oregon on the schedule for you know exposure, for money, for TV, for a, a number of things. And Oregon's the easiest solution to get a, a big name opponent to come to Research Stadium. I mean. If your home schedule is full of Boise State and Fresno State and 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 the UNLV and you know the occasional Power Five, I mean that's not a that's not a season ticket that's going to be as attractive if you can get an Oregon to come every couple of years and and some of these other schools. So uh, you got to look big picture to see. You can't look at it just like ah oh, screw Oregon. They you know they 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 did us dirty and you know we we can't. We, we can't be a part of them anymore. Well, it's, it just doesn't work that way in college football. If you want to stay relevant, you got to play relevant teams. And like it or not, Oregon's relevant. So Oregon State's got to find a way to, to get them on the schedule and get them into Corvallis. I think I agree with that. I think And I think it will happen. It looks to me like it really hinges on Boise State and trying to make that uh, a reality for September 14th. And I'm being told that Boise State just – wants a promise that Oregon's going to come to Boise, even if it's in 2029 or 2030, or they would like to see a big check, uh, you know, written. And I think Oregon will probably opt to go to Boise and make that happen in the end. Um, you know, the the Pac-2 schedule, what they're going to do in 2024, Jonathan Smith's future, all of that's going to happen really fast after Thanksgiving and, and a Civil War game. Dashiell, do you have a sense on Jonathan Smith and where his head is as it pertains to the conversations he's having with his players, the reports out there that, you know, he, he might be interested in other jobs or other jobs are interested in him. I think you and I kind of see that the same, but give me an idea of where you think Jonathan's mind is right now. Well, I'm just going to say I'm, it's just informed speculation because I mean, you and I both know. We think we know what these coaches are thinking, but we really don't know. I mean, we just don't. And it, 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 I, th- my, my gut feeling is he really would like to stay in Corvallis if 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 they if they feel like they can put a competitive team on the field because I he he loves Corvallis. The family's comfortable there. Jonathan isn't. He's not one of these guys that wants to be doing media every day and 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 living in the spotlight. That's just not. That's just not Jonathan Smith. But I don't think he's. I mean, he's, to say he's not driven by money. I mean, we all are driven by money to some degree. 
But I don't think he's out there looking for, whoa, I can get $10 million if I go to, you know, Texas A&M. Or, I mean, he's making good money in Corvallis, Oregon, and I, I think he's pretty comfortable with that. So could, could, I, could I see him leaving? Sure. But I think if he's presented with a, with a situation that makes him think he can hang on to most of his coaches and he can, and he can bring good players to Corvallis, I think he's staying. But, I mean, again, uh, that's just speculation because I haven't been able to pin him down on, on anything specific. Let's throw, let me just spitball this with you because if they continue to fund like they're a power five, that means he can retain his assistance and he'll get paid well. And if the NIL collective, that's another thing, if they can step up and help retain players, I think you can sell players on the idea, hey, we're going to play Oregon. We're going to play another Power Four school that, you know, is going to be out there in the schedule. We're going to play Purdue. They're going to have a six-game schedule against the Mountain West, which they should do very well in. There's a real possibility that Oregon State could be sitting in a year with one loss or undefeated and have a shot at getting into the college football playoff, the expanded playoff with one of the at-large berths. And, to me, that feels like the best plan for the next two years. You, do you read that as an attractive possibility for Oregon State players, or will they see mass attrition in the portal? I think that's what they're going to try to sell them come Monday. Um, and that's because I asked John, you know, that, that's when they were going to start meeting them was, was on Monday. And um, because of the way the recruiting calendar works out, that apparently they. They they can't leave they can't leave campus until I think it's Friday or something like that. But anyway, so they're to me the players I, that's got to be what they got to sell them because uh, you know the, the, you're right. I mean you're right that if, if they can hang on to most of these players and the schedule they can put together, you could see eleven and one coming or tw- even twelve and zero. You know, depending on whether one of the, you know if one of those games they play next year is say like at Utah, that might be a tough one, but. But, I mean, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> For all this talk of Oregon and Washington, the Big Ten, and everybody else, the Big 12, here's Oregon State waltzing its way into the CFP next year. I mean, that would just be – that would be a story. That would be a story. But they would have need to hang on to the majority of these players, including, you know, Damian Martinez and, and Aiden Child and, and – and they're going to have to rebuild. They're going to have to partially rebuild their offensive line too. So they'll have to be. They'll have to find a way to be, you know, active in the transfer portal to, to get to get you know a few offensive linemen. But yeah, I could I, I could see that if they could sell the players on, on 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 this situation. Sure. Do you think the Friday game factors at all in the minds of players? As far as do they stay at Oregon State? It, it, does the game factor in the decision? You mean the t- you mean as opposed to it being Saturday or no or, no or, meaning what? meaning if they compete with Oregon or they get blown off the field by Oregon does does Friday's uh, game matter? Yeah, I, I I suppose if they say if they if they see a team that that that, that goes toe to toe with Oregon and and. I mean, frankly, I know they're a fourteen-point underdog, but I mean, don't you? Could you see this game being pretty close on Saturday? You you watch the USC game. I mean, if USC 
stays in front of a few receivers on some of those plays, uh, the Trojans might have, might have had a shot to win that game. I, I'm not saying they uh, – I mean, they, they were definitely in it. And, and Oregon State's ever been as good as USC, if not better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a real chance they can hang with them and, and give them a game into the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I would think that's, that's that, that could be a factor. I mean, also be – you know – I'd like to see what kind of bowl game they're going to end up with, too. I, I kind of like the Holiday Bowls where Oregon State's going to end up either out of the sun. But, I mean, if they get a good a good bowl game with an attractive opponent and whatnot and have a good time, maybe, I don't know, maybe all that's enough to hang on to most of the roster. But it all starts with Jonathan. It really starts with Jonathan. If they can't hang on to Jonathan, then it's, then it's, then it's, then it's over. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's it's a complete rebuild, and and I should say Jonathan and Jim Mahalchek, and preferably and and Trent Bray. Those three would probably be the the three big ones I would think out of, out of the coaching staff. Not that they're all not important, but I think those guys really really matter. Yeah, and I think we're you know we're all looking at Mahalchek. He's the run coordinator and the offensive line coach at Oregon State, and. You know, I I do think somebody will try to make a run at him at some point, but he seems awfully loyal to Jonathan Smith. That coaching staff has just had very little turnover in his time in Corvallis. Nick Dashwood, I mean, what you when, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, nobody's mentioned Trent Bray about going to USC, but I mean, wouldn't that make a ton of sense? I mean, for Lincoln Riley to oh, take yeah. a run at, at Trent Bray. I'm interested in that. Yeah, could be. All right. Nick Dashiell, I appreciate you, man. Thanks, and have a great Thanksgiving. All right. All right. See you. All right. There he goes. Nick Dashiell covers Oregon State. Great stuff from Dashiell. A lot to think about on the Oregon State side. On tomorrow's show, Jonathan Smith will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour. I want you to make an appointment. On Wednesday, University of Oregon uh, just reached out, told me Dan Lanning will be with us in the 4 o'clock hour. On Wednesday. So there we go. We have Jonathan Smith Tuesday, Dan Lanning Wednesday. Uh, Anna's coming on the show. She'll pop into the studio. We have so much to talk about. You got the BFT statewide. Leave it here. I got a great question from a reader just now uh, who re- reads me at johnconzano.com. And one of the cool things about that writing endeavor is that when I file my column or whatever i write uh each day it goes directly to your email inbox and as a reader you all you have to do to ask a question is hit reply and so i got a great question from mark smith who replied and said john i haven't been able to find this anywhere do you know what college football playoff teams will play in the rose bowl this year the rose bowl is a semifinal is it the one seed and the four seed or the two, three seed and the three seed? Thanks, Mark. And so I asked the college football playoff because I was like, I don't know that off the top of my head. So I reached out to the CFP and they just got back to me and reminded me that the number one seed gets to pick which bowl game they play in. And so this year it is the Rose Bowl is one semifinal and the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans is the other semifinal. And you can bet that if Georgia's the one seed, they are going to pick the Sugar Bowl. They do not want a visiting environment, it, you know, as the uh, potential 1-4 matchup. So the Rose Bowl will likely feature the 2-3 seeds. So keep an eye on that. 
And if you are an Oregon fan, hoping to see yourself in the Rose Bowl, watching a, you know, a semi-friendly environment, you better also kind of root for either being the one seed so you can pick it, uh, or being at least the three seed so that you end up in Pasadena and not in New Orleans playing Georgia. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, what's up? What are you doing? What's going on? What's new? Just bringing you a snack. I don't need a snack. I'm on air. I'm working. This is not (laughs) snack time. Um, Yeah, People have that idea. You know, this came up at the broadcast the other day. Somebody was like, are you just going to be eating burgers? (laughs) I'm on air. How am I going to be snacking if I'm on air talking? Like, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a... It's no. And by the way, what'd you bring? What is that? It's a bagel with peanut butter it, and Nutella. Oh man, it looks really good. But uh, unfortunately, that's torture for a radio show host because I can't eat while on air. <laughs> so really cool that All you right. put that on the table. Right. Awesome. I appreciate right. it. Thought Just that trying. counts. Thought that counts. Mm-hmm. But you're sort of feeding into the perception that this isn't a real job. Like you know, as a broadcaster with a mic in front of me. Mm-hmm. I gotta be working. Yeah, you know. I know. Like people telling me it's like snack time for Johnny. It's not a thing. <laughs> uh, by the way, speaking of Johnny, I got a uh, really cool email today from my sixth grade teacher, Mr. John LaCurcy. Wrote me an email today, and I had written about Mr. LaCurcy and being a student in his class, and I've talked about him on this radio show over the years. Uh, I've talked about what an impact he had on my life. He was the teacher. He was like Doctor Doolittle. He had all of these animals in the back of the classroom. He had terrariums and snakes in these things, and he had turtles, and he had, you know, rabbits and hamsters and rats, and he was just like, you know, Mr. Science, but an elementary school teacher, and he was the fun teacher. He was a good teacher. He was super encouraging, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, I really kind of blossomed as a writer in his classes because he just sort of gave us a lot of freedom. And I can remember he let me do a book report on a San Francisco 49ers. Like, come on, that's not, that's hardly working. I was having fun doing that book report. Well, I had written about Mr. LaCurcy and I kind of forgot about it. And I just got an email today, popped into my email inbox, and he said he's alive and well. And he stumbled upon the piece I wrote about him. And he wanted to thank me for it. And then he sent me some photos from the sixth grade class, he kept a scrapbook from that year. He must have kept a scrapbook from every year. And he had photos of me as a sixth grader holding up my writing awards and wearing my 49ers jersey. And I was like, damn, this guy, he must have loved that class. Yeah, I was shocked because, like, how many teachers are actually keeping scrapbooks? You know, Maybe they all are. Year. Maybe we don't know. Mm, I don't know. We'll have to ask them. Did your sixth grade teacher send you a note with a bunch of pictures uh, from sixth grade? No, no. I think that's pretty unusual. But uh, pretty interesting, though, that you were getting writing awards so young. Well, I uh, they had a writing contest in the sixth grade. And it was a scary story contest. And I wrote this story about um, this guy who was, uh, who was uh, hiding in a house. Okay, It was supposed to be a scary story around Halloween time. Yeah, think of my sixth grade mind, okay? Forgive me. But he was scared, and he was in a house, and two people had broken in. And so this uh, it was a kid, and he was hiding under a bed. And he could hear the conversation between the two people who had broken into the house as they were walking about, looking at things. And so he was lying there still as can be, trying not to breathe. It was a little bit of Edgar Allan Poe-like, you know, and he was 
in the stillness, he suddenly realized that they were the robbers were no longer talking, that they had gone quiet. And the next thing he knew, they had a hold of his legs, and they dragged him out from under the bed. And they took him right out into the yard, and they put him down, and they laid him down with his head and his neck hanging over a tree stump. And then they picked up an axe, and they raised it in the air. And as the axe was coming down, the director yelled, Cut! It's a wrap! See, it was a movie, Anna. It wasn't really happening. It was just a movie. That's a fun twist. See the plot? See the little plot twist there? Yes. It wasn't happening. And so the judges liked it, and I won the $25 award. $25? 25 bucks. That was a windfall. <laughs> that is a lot. I think I poured it into the Tron video game machine yeah. at the arcade one quarter at a time. converted it into nickels, probably. I'll, you, I'll take that in quarters, please. Yeah. And tokens, <laughs> and I'll ride, and I'll ride to the uh, arcade with my pockets down. But no, I mean, I, I just makes me think of all the teachers who listen to the show, and all the teachers who are out there who, you know, work so hard, and all the parents out there that know, teachers are probably off this week with the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. But you know, a little fist bump for the teachers out there. Yeah, they're amazing, especially the ones that really invest in their kids like that. You know, I mean, the fact that you can remember not only who your sixth grade teacher was, but like specific details about what you 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 gain from that class that's amazing he did a lot of little special things that were really cool and you know he created money he had we had our own commerce system in that classroom oh that's cool we got dollars like fake dollars for things that that we did well like we were rewarded and then he would hold an auction like every other friday oh fun and so we had this whole was before ebay like we should have just invented (laughs) ebay but he had an auction, and he would auction off various prizes. And some of the things were kind of silly, like pencils or whatever, you know. And it, but there were some there were some really cool things. Like sometimes he had a, like a brand new book mm-hmm. in the Encyclopedia Brown series. Yeah. Or and the grand prize every week was two students got to go to lunch with Mr. Lacursey, hmm. and he would take you to A and W, and you could get a root beer. That's and awesome. nowadays, I don't think any teacher in their right mind would be like, come on, students, get in my car. And the parents would be like, what is he doing? What is What motive does this this teacher have? But Mr. LaCruzzi took us, two of us together, probably a reason for that. There was two students involved in it. Sure. And, and uh, you know, you just get to know him a little bit. Get to know him uh, outside of the classroom. My third grade teacher did that, Sally Doughty. So, like, in the course of the year, spread out. She would, in groups of three, have kids in the class come over to have dinner with her and her husband. And I think I don't remember if her kids were in the picture yet at that point. But, uh, yeah, you got to go to dinner at your teacher's house. And I thought this, I mean, we all just thought it was amazing because... I think as kids, like, we visualize our teachers in one channel. It's like now when we go to the grocery store and we run into, like, a teacher, the kids freak out because it's like, whoa, this is my teacher, and they're not in context. It's like seeing seeing Taylor Swift at the grocery store. Similar, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, like, you got to be at her house, and they prepared dinner, and it was like a, it's a really special thing. Why do you think the teacher did that? I honestly don't know. I mean, she she was kind of like my Mr. LaCursey, where it was like she's the teacher that I look back on my elementary school years, and um, that was it. Like she was, you know, she was the one that I'll always remember. And we've had her over for dinner even. Like I've stayed in touch with her all these years. So Mr. LaCursey was interesting. His wife had multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And so 
none of us knew what that was. But we had all seen kind of the, uh, you know, the Jerry Lewis telethon. And we had seen, you know, people raising money for muscular dystrophy and other things. And we didn't really understand it. Well, she came into the classroom in her wheelchair mm. and kind of explained what she was going through. And he explained why he had a van. And, you know, it was interesting to kind of get to know him that way and learn so many things that were outside the scope of, you know, his thing. And the, one of the cool things is he sent me this picture. And it was it was me holding the award from the uh, Scary Story contest. Mm -hmm. And then my friend Eddie Wilson, who... Uh, who was one of my good friends through elementary school and into high school. And he played quarterback on the high school football team, and I was a receiver. Eddie Wilson, I, I recently been in touch with because his daughter is a star volleyball recruit. I mean, excuse me, softball recruit. And she was having to choose between the University of Washington and a scholarship there hmm. or the University of Utah wow. and a scholarship there. So she's going to go play college softball. She's a high school senior this year. Mm -hmm. And so Eddie had reached out to me and he says, hey, tell me what's happening. What's going on with Utah? What's going on with Washington? And, right. you know, basically, is he going to see his kid play, in, you know, in the Big 12? Or is he going to see his kid play in the Big 10 in right. softball? And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't know anything about NIL. Might need some help on this front. And I, mm -hmm. so I just sent Eddie the picture because Eddie's in the picture, too. Because Eddie finished second in the scary story <laughs> writing contest, or he got an honorable mention or something. So I sent him the photo, and I said, we're dominating, Eddie. You and me, man, all these years later. That's so funny. So nice to hear from my teacher, but I, I just love that maybe he read what I wrote about him. Yeah. I have to go back and read it and see what he thought. But he has invited me the next time, because he still lives in the same small town where my parents live. Wow. He says, I, I don't, I'm not mobile. I don't get around very much. He said, but if you want to come over for coffee, I'll make the coffee. So I love that. <laughs> so so I may get to see my sixth grade teacher. I'm excited about that. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about the Oregon-Oregon State rivalry game, ears of corn thrown, Civil War names disbanded and resurrected. Are we calling this thing the Civil War? I think we are. I, I like that nationally, everybody has gone back to calling it the Civil War as well. No, I don't see any talk of the rivalry game uh, out there, which is great. I hear people saying Civil War, which is what it should be. Uh, more ahead. Leave it here. 127th version, episode, playing of the Civil War football game will take place on Friday at... Autzen Stadium, there's uh, been some discussion, if you're just tuning in, about renewing the rivalry beyond this season and scheduling the 2024 and 2025 games. I'm here to tell you I expect that to happen. Sources are telling me that the conversation right now centers around Oregon and Boise State trying to negotiate and out for the Ducks. They're supposed to play on that September 14th date next season and uh, Oregon is trying to get out of that date with Boise State and instead slip Oregon State into that opening. A um, couple of reasons why Oregon State would want this game. One, uh, they get a home game against a Big Ten opponent that is a guaranteed sellout every other year. Also, home teams control the media rights. So Oregon State, when it hosts Oregon, would own that game and be able to turn around to ESPN, Fox, whoever, and say, hey, we have a game. Do you want to buy it uh, a la carte, more or less? And, uh, you know, Oregon State has the opportunity to really monetize that series and uh, make some hay with it. 
Meanwhile, for Oregon, I do think there's a little bit of goodwill that could be fostered by Oregon offering to play the game. But I also think the Ducks, there's something in it for them financially as well. Obviously, a home sellout, uh, part of the season ticket package. Oregon struggled this season to sell out their games. It was uh, not as easy to do as the Oregon State game. And in fact, the University of Oregon, even for the Civil War game, had some tickets that it had still available and that the uh, university itself put on the secondary ticket market. So, you know, it wasn't like they were sold as part of the season ticket package. So Oregon didn't sell out with its season tickets, and I think adding the Oregon State game in there adds a little bit of juice to their home ticket sales. Further, there, you know, Rob Mullins came on this show and he talked about it. There's just a limited number of teams that Oregon can go play in the Pacific time zone, and they have to get on a plane to go play most of those teams. And if you're going to play a Big Ten schedule as your conference, you would probably love to be able to go out and, you know, get on a bus and in 40 minutes or so be over in Corvallis, get off the bus, play a football game, get back on the bus and go home, and it doesn't cost you $300,000 or a night in a hotel. So I think there's an advantage for Oregon as well. And, you know, I said it earlier, I do think fans who are belly aching about, you know, I don't want to play this. Oh, you know, I have bad feelings about it. I, I think you need to get over it, and you need to become a Civil War monger, just like me. <laughs> monger. Anna. I understand the Beavers fans, though, because from some of their perspective, they're like, well, we don't want to help Oregon out. You know, they understand that right. actually playing a game against them would help them given what the rest of their schedule is going to look like. So they're like, we don't, we don't want to do them any yeah, favors. Don't do any favors. But, <laughs> but for Oregon State, I mean, if you're going to play a Mountain West Conference schedule, that's six games against the likes of UNLV, Fresno State, Boise State, New Mexico State, you know, you're going to play that schedule. You need to have, you need to boost your strength of schedule and your home ticket season ticket offering just a little bit by mixing in you know you're gonna you're gonna have a purdue on there but mixing in an oregon or a utah or both wouldn't hurt well, you. i think i think they would be much more inclined to play utah or even u-dub despite this last weekend wait a minute wait a minute do you think the feelings are so bad on the oregon state side that they would rather play washington than oregon yes Yes, I would need I to do. hear that. I would need to hear I that do. from Beaver fans. I do. I really do. Even even with what happened this last. So should year. the Apple Cup and Civil War rivalries flip flop, <laughs> and Oregon <laughs> plays Washington State and Washington plays Oregon? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, keep that going. No, I'm all in favor. Like I love that Colorado and Colorado State play. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there's a Garrett, there's an agreement there in in Colorado that those schools will play each other. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I was kind of wondering, would the, would the Oregon State legislature get involved, given that Oregon State has asked lawmakers for $30 million to help subsidize the athletic department, would the lawmakers go, hey, we ain't going to give you 30 we'll give you 27 make the other three by, you know, we're going to mandate, we're going to make it a law that Oregon and Oregon State have to play each other. Because, you know, the, these two schools are, they've got their hands out, asking the state for funding, you know, the state's going, make your own money. Like, you know, we don't want to subsidize your athletic department to mm-hmm. tune a $30 million. Right. It doesn't seem quite right to me. I just think there's, like, depending on what the reason 
is for it. I just don't know that a lot of Beavers fans feel comfortable saying, well, we're going to play Oregon because it elevates us. We're going to ride on their coattails yeah. because it elevates our status nationally to play them. What about, the duck, too soon. what about the duck fans who are saying, you're beneath us? They had one of those calls <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah, I know. That Oregon yeah. State is beneath and also there's a chance you'll lose that game if you're Oregon. You're going into <laughs> Reeser Stadium. It's not an easy place to play every right, other year. right. Yeah, no, I can see that. My question is about the ticket sales for Oregon this year. That's so strange to me. Like, this is a team that is well on its way, well, you know, into the process of trying to go for a national championship and matter nationally, and yet not every game has been sold out. Like, are we talking about the games from the beginning of the season where they, like, played Portland State? Like, I I get that maybe, but... Well, look, right. look at the home schedule. It was Portland State at home. It was Hawaii at home. That's hard. Yeah. Colorado was a sellout. Yeah, You know, Washington State was harder, uh, but still it did well. Cal was hard. Uh, USC's a sellout. That's easy. And Oregon State's a sellout. That's easy. So mm-hmm. you just had a few games in there that aren't as big a draw. And yeah. so if you tell me you're Oregon and you're going to trade Boise State at home for Oregon State, you're trading... Like, you know, there's 10, 10 or 15,000 seats more that you're going to sell. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a sellout when you play Boise State. Right. It will be a sellout when you play Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have on the line, we've got some people who are holding. We're going to take some calls here. But on the phone right now, um, I want to bring uh, a, a, a special guest on because, you know, we did the remote broadcast at Killer Burger in West Lynn on Friday. But on Saturday in East Vancouver... Our friend Nate, who's joining us now, who uh, is uh, generous and and put together with his team at the East Vancouver Killer Burger location, they basically threw a party on Saturday where they donated portion of every meal that was sold to the BFT Foundation. I want to bring Nate on just for a little bit of a high five here. I texted him today, and I said, I'm dragging you on the show. Nate, thank you for joining us. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me, sir. How are you doing today? We're doing well, man. I, I just love what you did. You're helping kids. You've obviously got a oh, business sure. to run, but you're helping kids. Why was that important for you guys to do something on Saturday? You know, we just, uh, me and my wife, we just bought our third Killer Burger up here in Vancouver. We got to remodel it. Got to uh, take on the staff that I used to work with as a general manager before I came to franchisee. And, uh, got to finally celebrate with everybody. So wanted to reach out to the community, you know. They serve us. They help us with our dreams all the time. So we just want to help give back. And, uh, you know, we sold burgers and fries for 10 bucks. Half of it's going to you and the Bald Face Truth Foundation. So it was a great day, though, John. We did a lot of success. A lot of uh, people showed out. And uh, thanks for the support on that. We appreciate it. Hi, it's Anna here. Thank you so much uh, for you guys doing that. I'm just curious, like, what made you choose – the Bald Face Truth Foundation. You have lots of choices. Uh, honestly, we uh, we partnered up with John recently. You know, uh, JP and Stephanie down at Westland speak very highly of you. Uh, Michael James, another one of our franchisees, you know, has been on your show. And, you know, we thought since our new partnership with you, John and Anna, we appreciate it. And uh, thought that would be a great one to pick for us up here, too. Great burgers, and you got a great heart as well, Nate. And, you know, to you guys, I, I know that this is uh, – this particular location in East Vancouver is new to you, and you're throwing a party, sort of announcing, hey, new bosses, new digs, uh, same great burgers. But I just appreciate you making the 
nonprofit organization, part of that, and really helping out a bunch of kids. There's going to be a bunch of kids in southwest Washington, of course, that are going to get to uh, go on field trips and pick up musical instruments and play sports because of you guys. So I'm going to tell our listeners, support Killer Burger East Vancouver because they have the backs of kids in the community. And so before I let you go, Nate, tell me about co-curricular activities and you. What did you play as a kid or participate in or were you a drama kid a theater kid an athlete what'd you do oh i loved sports and i loved working so between work i did hockey mostly in high school uh a lot of roller hockey out in the carolinas where where i came from so that was kind of my my go-to you know did some football um then i found out about work so i went i went that direction (laughs) how did you end up from the carolinas to the pacific northwest uh, my family's from the West Coast. Uh, I was born in California. Uh, lived in Tacoma when I was when I was younger. Uh, my dad, you know, between Bible Fellowship and other things, you know, moved across the country. Ended up in North Carolina, and then uh, took a job. And we just wanted to be back closer to our family, so came back out to Portland, Vancouver area, and uh, been here ever since. Raising my own family now. Just had my third kid, so they all play tons of sports in Vancouver and you know, Washougal, Camas area, soccer, football. Uh, jiu-jitsu it's been uh it's been a lot of fun out here so we appreciate this community i like it a lot well and you know i mean given that your kids are involved in that many things like that's why we started this thing is because we want kids to be able to do those activities who maybe can't afford them like that kind of stuff that all adds up huh for sure yeah no it's a it's a huge endeavor to take care of all those but the kids love it so much and the activities around the northwest that you know we've been seeing it's just it's Great support, great contribution. So to give back to that in any sort of way, love you guys' foundation, read up on it, and uh, got familiar. Super cool, and I'd love to do more with you guys and, you know, help as many as we can around here. Nate from Vancouver, East Vancouver, Killer Burger. Yeah, go in and see his store. Get I, I like the classic, but get whatever burger uh, strikes your fancy and uh, support the businesses that support kids and the community. Nate, thank you for what you did. And uh, wish yes, you the sir. best, and uh, I, you know, I'm gonna see. I'll pop in myself. So I appreciate you, man. All right, can't wait to meet you guys. Talk there to you later. Appreciate Nate, it. Nate, Nate from Killer Burger. I like that. You Bye, know, there's man. so many, uh, there's so many businesses that have stepped up over the years, and part of the beauty of the BFT Foundation is no employees. Part of the problem with the BFT Foundation <laughs> is no employees, and so you really, it really is incumbent upon small business owners. And individuals like Nate and Killer Burger and the, the family that owns and operates the West Lynn Killer Burger and the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores and Gresham Ford and First Call Heating and Cooling, all of them have stepped up over the years and just said, hey, we want to help out. And it's that kind of help and that kind of assistance and that kind of backing that really does drive a nonprofit. So it belongs to the community, really. And I appreciate Nate and everybody at the East Vancouver Killer Burger for stepping up on Saturday. The 5 at 5 is next. Leave it here. Larry on Twitter wants to know if I've ever seen a radio personality catch a bite while on air, meaning take, eat on air. I, I haven't, but I have had in, what, 17, 18 years of doing this show, I have had interns or others who were on air take a bite of something and then open a mic. It, I think it's one of the worst things you can do as a radio person to be, like, nobody wants to hear somebody else to eat. Nobody wants to hear you yawn. 
Nobody wants to hear how hard your job is. People are tuning in because what? It's like that commercial I used to see as a kid. It was, Calgon, take me away. You know? Or the Nestea commercial with somebody falling back into a pool while they're thirsty. They, you know, they want that experience. That's what this radio show aims to be. Can't be eating something on air and doing that. Um, we've got just a segment of radio here. We're going to take you right into the Super Bowl rematch Monday Night Football. Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs. Should be a good one. Uh, by the way, Stephen, who do you like in the game tonight? Oh, man, this is tough. Uh, I I would lean towards the Eagles in this one. I, I think Philadelphia gets the job done. I haven't been super impressed with the Chiefs this season. I think their offense is a little down, and the defense is good, but the offense just hasn't been up to par. I think Philly uh, Philly can get it done on the road. Who? Yeah, I kind of wonder if Philly's playing for a little more, given how the Super Bowl went. Uh, also, uh, you know, but the Chiefs, I don't know, they're special, and they tend to rise to the occasion in a game like this. Yeah, yeah I mean, going yeah. against Patrick Mahomes is never a smart choice. Like, I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. Anna's here, and we've got the 5 at 5. You ready, Anna? You all stretched out and everything? I'm just interested that Taylor Swift's parents and apparently Travis Kelsey's parents are going to be meeting well, at that game. Travis Kelsey's parents will be there because the kid, both kids are playing. Yeah, yeah. Opposite yeah. teams. Yeah, but I don't think she's going to be there. I think. Their her parents Ooh. are going to be there. Though. Is this be, a meet the parents moment? I think it's a meet the parents moment. I don't know. We'll see what Why happens. How do I know that? Why? Yeah, uh, this is an odd one because in some weird way, Kelsey's parents are more well known and famous than Taylor Swift's parents. Yeah. So it's kind of like the juxtaposition. You might be a big deal, but have you met Mama Kelsey? Yeah, Mama that, Kelsey walks around with four armed police escorts. Yeah, that's kind of a thing. <laughs> Um, I I was uh, you know I have to say I was right about this Kelsey Taylor Swift thing. It's it really in, is in love. It's oh, love. It's love. Everyone thought it was a publicity stunt. Are we I sure? Like, Are we sure still? <laughs> it's been like seven minutes. I just so if DraftKings had put a line on this, <laughs> I would be messaging them right now, going, "Hey, we got to settle this thing. <laughs> Sell it before they break up." All I know is I've seen Travis Kelsey all the time on my TV doing commercials. I know. Just saying. It's been but, great for him, huh? The nine-year-old in our living room has said the same thing. She says he's on every commercial. Why yeah. is he on every commercial? <laughs> Between Coach Prime and Travis Kelsey, the college football season, the NFL season have just been the bookends of those two. <laughs> they have dominated. You know, yeah. that's it. Aflac, Travis Kelsey, Di Almonds, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> no, uh, Almonds is that's Dion. Almonds is yeah. Dion. That's what I'm saying. I was yeah. flip flopping. I was saying Aflac and then oh, uh, you know Kelsey. Okay. I was going back and forth. All right. Bookends. See. I see. One in the beginning, one in the end. Okay? Yeah. All right, let's do the five at five. The five at five. Number one. Oh. Wow. That was me. Yeah. In case you knew, didn't know. <laughs> That's our new one, huh? <laughs> Go. Number one. I don't know where to start. Um, ESPN's Paul Feinbaum blasting USC's Lincoln Riley. That seems like a decent place to begin. Um... Yeah, I find it interesting that he's just coming right out and saying it. He's saying that uh, Lincoln Riley ought to look in the mirror and that maybe he's just a total fraud as a coach. Ouch. I don't know if total fraud is the right phrase, I guess, for Lincoln Riley. Like, the expectations play a role in this. Sure. You know, it, and Stephen pointed this out earlier. He's got a couple of Heisman Trophy winners, you know, including, uh, you know, Kyler Murray and uh, and – Caleb Williams. And, and, and Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. And three. I mean, he's got three Heismans. Quarterback whisperer. Yeah, but 
I mean, he's a, he's a good coach. He got his team to the playoff a couple times. He just is a victim, I think, of the of the expectations and, frankly, a victim of his own arrogance. Like, there's a little bit of Lincoln Riley's act that is a little bit of, you know, I remember I sat with him one-on-one on Pac-12 Media Day, sat across from me. He's just got this little air of, you know, I know I'm too good for all this. And so I think when you act that way and you fall short, people are going to call you out on it. And it was really interesting because going into that USC-UCLA game, all the questions were about Chip Kelly's job security. And coming out of it, all the questions were about Lincoln Riley's job security. It's an interesting thing to watch. I wonder if he'll run to the NFL. I wonder if he'll flee. Their Las Vegas Raiders, maybe? Number two. Okay. Oh, this is going well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's keep it down in Southern California and talk about Shohei Otani. Um, I mean, I guess the Dodgers are considered to be the favorite to win the Shohei Otani auction, but the Red Sox and the Ragers are also reported as top contenders. So you've got things like uh, Rangers pitcher Max Scherzer weighing in and kind of making his elevator pitch to Otani that, hey, Money's, money is great, but winning is better. If you want to come win, that's better than money, I promise, end quote. I, mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to get money wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. And once you get to the point where you're like $300 million, $400 million, <laughs> you know, I do think winning starts to matter. But Otani's a different superstar. I'm not sure what he's totally about, but I suspect... He's already been in Southern California, and he's seen that. I I do think he probably wants to stay on the western part of the United States. I I thought the Giants might be a player for him, San Francisco. But let's see how this unfolds. He's a different character. I've watched him. He's a terrific ambassador for the game, and obviously uh, a two-way player coming off an injury that it, it raises some questions. Number three. Uh, Dylan Bryce. You don't like that? <laughs> just, I'm just trying to like it. Um, it's just my voice. I, no. That's my normal voice. It's really, it's not It's not your normal voice. All right. It's, you're trying to be like big voice guy, but All right. it's fine. Number three. Okay. Uh, Dylan Brooks. Yes. Oh, gotta love Dylan Brooks. So he's just embracing his on-court persona. Nice. Changed his Instagram name to Villain. Oh no, he didn't. <laughs> he did it. Dylan the Villain. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's it. He's you know scuffling with LeBron James, technical fouls left and right. He's just taking it all on. Did we know that he was going to be like this when he was at Oregon? Were there signs no. of this? No. Like he's just transformed. It's like he's shapeshifted into this whole other character. And, and I got to be honest, he's in college. He's not a good defender. He wasn't a great defender. Well, isn't that ironic? And so what he's done in the NBA is, you know, the NBA's rules are a little different. And if you play a little harder uh, than other people on the defensive side of the ball, and you work at it, you really can stand out. But he's become an enforcer uh, on the court. You, you know, look that I had an NBA GM once tell me. If you could do one thing really well, you can stick in the league. Like, if you could be a shot blocker, you do that one thing well, or you could rebound, or you can defend, or you can really shoot. 
one thing really well, then you can make it. And so Dylan Brooks has basically said, I'm going to be the best enforcer in the league. And he's looked at probably guys like Ron Artest and Dennis Rodman and said, hey, I want to pattern myself after that. But, God, like, Stephen, I would take Ron Artest and Dennis Rodman in a heartbeat over Dylan Brooks. Yeah, it, but it just shows how few guys there are in the NBA that are six foot six, six foot seven that actually can defend, right? Like, I think that's the point is Dylan Brooks. And want to. And want to, yeah. He figured it out. And, I mean, he's got to give him credit. He's going to be making over $100 million in his career so far. So, like, you know, he, he made the right choice. I just can't get over the fact that, like, in college, I did not regard him as a, he's, his arms are short. He's got yeah. a little bit of a T-Rex thing going on. <laughs> wow. And I, I did not project him as a good defender. Uh-huh. But the conversation I had with the GM was about Bull Bull and about the fact that, you know, he's so long. He could be a shot blocker. He could also shoot the three for a big guy. And I said, can he stick? And he said, well, you can do one thing really well. You will play. Number four. Uh, Aaron Andrews, a spokesperson, is helping her tiptoe quietly away from the fire, clarifying that, yes, Andrews did say uh, that she made up information once before as a sideline reporter, but actually she works really hard to verify the accuracy yeah, of her report. Yeah, they've undermined themselves. I don't even want to give this one more credence, but Teresa Thompson and... Aaron Andrews should not have been so flippantly talking about making stuff up. And by the way, they shouldn't have made stuff up. Number five. Uh, Lindsay Schnell, our friend at USA Today, is writing about Angel Reese. Uh, Why is she benched? She has been benched four games into the season. um, And it's still not clear whether she's going to play tonight. A lot of mystery around it. Coach Mulkey not saying it, just saying it's a coach's decision and not going into it any further. I've read that it, it was grade-related, but also Mulkey sat her after halftime of a recent game, so could be more about attitude than anything.